Well, today we're concluding our series, our Christmas series, which we've called Jesus the King. And so uh, Jesus is king in heaven, and at his birth, he humbled himself to become a servant, uh, born as a servant, born in a stable. Uh, but he came ultimately to die on the cross for each of us and to be raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven as king of kings. And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But we want to be those that acknowledge Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord in this life. Uh, so that we can serve him in eternity. Today we're going to be talking about seeking Jesus the King. Now, Jesus himself, the reason that he came to this world was to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus came looking for people to save. That's the reason he came to this earth. That includes each one of us. Each one of us had strayed from God and needed to be found. And yet, who does Jesus find and save? Paradoxically, it's, it's those that are also seeking him. In fact, the Bible tells us the ultimate purpose of each and every human being is to seek after God. If you don't have the white page in your bulletin pulled out, we have the scriptures written out there as well as the outline. I encourage you to take a look at that as well. Acts 17 says he made from one man every nation of mankind. It's speaking of God. To live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. And here's the phrase I want you to catch. That they should seek God. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. And so God created people. He created you and me to have a relationship with us. He created you in a specific time. I mean, in the 21st century, he created us in a specific place. Most of us were born and raised in the United States of America. Many of us born and raised right here in St. Louis. Why did he do that? He did that so that it would prepare us to seek God. He wants us to find God. He's not far from anyone. He's not hiding himself, but he's seeking to find us. And when the seeking God and a person seeking to know God meet together through faith, that person then can be saved. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me, God is speaking here, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so God cannot be found by casual seeking. Hey, God, you know, if, if you're around, you know, maybe I'm interested, maybe I'm not. God must be sought with everything a person has. And Jesus told many parables about the diligence that people must seek the king and his kingdom with. And the seeking we're talking about doesn't end in salvation. It certainly begins with salvation when we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. But salvation is not the end of seeking. It's the beginning of seeking and building that relationship with God. A relationship that's going to grow forever as we continue to seek to know him better and better. Jesus put it this way in the famous verse, Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so the temptation in life is to seek all kinds of other things other than the king and his kingdom. And when we seek these other things, 
we're not growing in our relationship with God, it takes us away from him. And so Jesus told us here to seek first his kingdom and then all the other things that we are tempted to seek after for, he's going to bring to us. He's going to add to us. In this passage in Matthew 6, it says, unbelievers, pagans, they seek after what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how they're going to take care of themselves. He says, don't be like them. Seek me first, and I'm going to provide everything you need. I'd like us to watch a short video about seeking the king at Christmas times, Christmas season. It's called simply Seek. So this morning we're going to take a, a look at the story of the wise men who were seeking Jesus. And we're going to learn from them some lessons how we can seek the Lord in our lives as well. The first lesson we can learn from them is we need to take time to seek the king. Our story begins in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now the Greek word for wise men in this verse is magos, from which we get the title magi. The magi were a famous class of astrologers and dream interpreters. They served the Persian king. The journey from Persia to Jerusalem was around 900 miles. It took a number of months. And so these wise men undoubtedly had to take time to organize a large caravan of servants, of guards, supplies to sustain them on this long journey which went through dangerous territory. And why did they undertake this long, costly journey? Well, they, they were seeking to meet a king. Verse 2, it says, they were saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And so amazingly, these wise men, these magi, traveled this long distance seeking to meet a child. A child born, they believed, rightly so, to be the king of the Jews, the Messiah. Now as wise men in that period of time, although not Jews, they were familiar with Old Testament prophecy. In fact, in the first century, there was a widespread expectation throughout the east, that a ruler would rise in Judea who would one day rule the world. And so the Magi were looking for them. And their quest to meet this newborn king really signifies that, that Jesus would be king not just of the Jews. Certainly he would be king of the Jews, but he would be king of the Gentiles and of the entire world. They were coming to seek this king so that they could worship him. Second part of verse 2, the wise men say, For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And so as astrologers, the Magi believed that stars foretold events, especially the rising and falling of kings. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Balaam's prophecy in Numbers 24, verse 17, it foretold the coming of the Messiah and it spoke of him as a star coming out of Judah. And apparently, somehow, as they were looking in the night sky, a uh, light appeared, uh, a new star, they thought, arose in the sky. It caught their attention, and for reasons we don't totally understand, they deduced from that appearing of this star that it was a sign that the king of Jews, the king of the Jews had been born, the promised Messiah that had been promised for thousands of years. And so they traveled from Persia to the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, 
in order to find this newborn king, to find him and to worship him. Now, oftentimes we read stories in the Bible, especially familiar stories like the wise men, and we think that's a nice children's story, and it, it's an entertaining story, and we all know it. We've all heard it before. We've seen the Christmas cards and all these things, although we'll be speaking of some issues with the Christmas cards. But the stories in the Bible are not simply there to entertain us. They're there to teach us. And so these magi, these wise men, took a lot of time, they took a lot of expense to travel a great distance to seek King Jesus in order to worship him. And so in the same way, as, as we already talked about earlier in the message, God put us on this planet in order to seek him. He wants each person to be a seeker of King Jesus, to seek to meet King Jesus. Now, they actually met him in the flesh, as we're going to see. Now, we can't meet Jesus in the flesh. He's in heaven today. But we can meet him just the same spiritually as we seek him through faith. And so the Magi sought Jesus the king not because they thought he could give them something, but because they wanted to give him something. They wanted to give their worship to him. And we'll see the different ways they did that. What is worship? Well, worship is submitting your life and everything you have to the king. Worship involves acknowledging that whatever a king commands, you will do. Worship is expressing your love, your devotion, your loyalty to the king. That's all part of what worship is. And so as we're coming into the new year of 2018, we want to take time to seek the king, to worship the king, King Jesus. We mustn't be troubled by the king. Some people were troubled with the king. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, heard that the Magi were coming to worship this newborn king of the Jews, he was troubled. And all of Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod the Great was king in Judea. He'd been appointed king by the Romans who were in charge. Herod was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. The Edomites were perpetual enemies of the Jews. And thus, Herod was certainly not a king of the Jews ordained by God. Herod brutally suppressed all opposition, including executing members of his own family who he considered to be threats to his rule. He executed Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin who opposed different elements of his kingship. And in order to gain the favor of the remaining Jewish leaders, he initiated building the temple in Jerusalem, which was the ancient world's most uh, magnificent and largest temple that existed. It was, I don't have time to go, it was huge, even by today's standards. It was a huge, magnificent temple, unparalleled in the ancient world. And Herod and the Jewish leaders were troubled by this news from the Magi. The news that a king, the king of the Jews, had been born. Why were they troubled? Well, because they viewed this newborn king as a threat to their power. Obviously, Herod was king of the Jews. And if a new king of the Jews had been born, that was a threat to him. And he knew he was not a legitimate king of the Jews to begin with. It was a threat to the Jewish leaders 
hold on power because their hold on power was by the Romans. If the Romans heard that there was a new king, they could clamp down on the Jews. And so Herod wanted to discover where the Messiah would be born. And we'll see as we read on in the story, he wanted to put him to death. He wanted to end this threat to his power. And yet this king that was being born was going to rule his people. Verse 5, they, which is the chief priests and scribes, that Herod asked the question, where is this Christ going to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so the Jewish scholars, they knew the details of the Old Testament prophecies. It didn't take them long to find the verse Micah 5, verse 2. And this verse prophesies that a ruler, the Messiah, is going to come, and he'd come from Bethlehem. Now, we should note that Bethlehem was also the birthplace, the hometown of who? King David. And so the Messiah was also prophesied to be the lineage, from the lineage of King David. And so it was a very important village. And this ruler from Bethlehem, according to Micah 5, verse 2, would shepherd Israel would lead Israel at some point in the future as the Messiah. And no one was going to thwart his rule. Now, Herod wanted to thwart the rule of this newborn king. Verse 7, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I, too, may come And worship him. So Herod had now determined where the king was uh, had been born. It was in Bethlehem. He needed to discover when the star had announced that the birth had happened. When the star had appeared, uh, the date the star appeared would be the date that the child had been born. And Herod needed this information in order to determine the age of the child presently, the age of the child at this time. And so contrary to our modern Christmas cards, sorry, I have to pop your bubbles, that the wise men and the shepherds did not come to the stable on the first night at the same time. Uh, Scripture makes that very clear. We talked about the shepherds the other time. The shepherds came on the night that Jesus was born. The wise men came later uh, when Jesus was a toddler Uh, probably about 18 months to two years old, somewhere in that range. Uh, They were not in a stable, as we'll see. They were, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus were living in a house. And so if Herod wanted the child to be born, not to worship him as he lied, but to kill him. And yet God was in control. God would see that no harm would come to baby Jesus. Even at this most vulnerable stage, God had him in protection. And so Herod and the Jewish leaders were troubled by the birth of King Jesus. You know, many people today are troubled by Jesus. They're troubled for the same basic reasons that Herod was troubled. People are troubled because Jesus is a threat to our selfish ways of life. People want to do what they want to do. They want to live the life they want to live without anyone telling them what is right, without anyone telling them what is wrong. They want to be kings of their own life. And that's really the essence of 
what sin really is. I want to be the master and ruler of my life. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. And Jesus is a threat to that. Jesus says, I am king of the universe. And this is what you should do with your life. This is what I created you to do. And so people are troubled because they don't want to submit to the commands and rules of, of King Jesus. And unbelievers who are troubled by Jesus will often persecute believers as a way of getting back at God. In fact, that's what Herod was trying to do. He wanted to do away with this newborn king. He wanted to kill him. And yet, as faithful believers, we are not troubled by King Jesus and his commands. We gladly choose to submit to the things that he tells us to do because we know not only is it honoring to him, and not only is it honoring to our king, but it's the very best way we could possibly live our lives because that's the way he created us to live. And so we gladly choose to submit to his leading as we seek to know him better and to follow him more closely. Now, when we seek after God, God will guide our seeking. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they, that's the magi or the wise men, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about what this star was. Some speculate it was a comet or a supernova or a conjunction of planets at that time. And they've gone back through calculating where things were at that time in history and found various possibilities. But let's look at what we know about this star from God's word. The star arose in the sky at the time of Christ's birth. We know that for sure. It seems the star vanished for a time, for these verses indicate that the, the wise men, the magi, rejoiced when they saw it again. To me, that implies they hadn't seen it for a while because they rejoiced there it was again. Finally, the most revealing fact is that the star guided the wise men to the very house where Jesus was. Can a comet, can a certain configuration of planets or a supernova guide someone to a particular house? No, it's not possible. And so those facts rule out all these astronomical theories and they point simply to some type of supernatural guidance. In fact, as we look at the whole birth of Christ, what is a common supernatural occurrence that surrounds many of the events talked about during Jesus' birth? Angels. There's angels everywhere. I mean, angels are popping up. They're singing. They're appearing to Joseph in dreams. They're, they're everywhere. And so I think... Personally, and I'm not the only one, the star was probably an angel. Angels in the Bible sometimes are actually referred to as stars. And they often guide people. And uh, they guided Joseph in different ways. And they announced things. And so, whatever it was, it was something supernatural that got the Magi from Persia 900 miles to the exact house where Jesus was. They came to worship the king. And so, verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, 
and they fell down and worshipped him. And so here we have some of the most important men of ancient times. They were, they were like kingmakers back then. They fell down and worshipped. Remember how old was Jesus? He was a toddler learning how to walk. They fell down and worshipped this toddler. The king of the Jews. Christ, the Messiah, the king. Now in the Bible, it's clearly taught all the way through the Bible that Neither men nor women nor angels are to be worshipped. In Revelation, there's multiple times people fall down before angels to worship. They say, oh, no, don't do that. That's, that's not right. You're only to worship God. In the book of Acts, people fell down and tried to worship the apostles because they did some miracles. Oh, no, don't do that. You only worship God. You don't worship angels. You don't worship men. You only worship God. And so we see in this story, which is affirming the worship of the wise men of baby Jesus, that Jesus was God. God in the flesh, Christ the King. And not only did the Magi worship Jesus the King, they, they gave the King their treasures. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so Old Testament prophecies speak of the nations of the world honoring the Messiah. And here we see with these visit of the Magi and the offering of their treasures to him, we see these prophecies beginning to be fulfilled. The Magi were not Jews. They came from a, a foreign country, traveling many, many miles to come to offer their treasures to him. It's not mentioned in Scripture. Many, many interpreters have noted the symbolic meaning of these gifts. Uh, gold represents the kingship of Jesus. Frankincense signifies his deity. You know, incense in the temple was used to, to worship God. And finally, the myrrh represents his sacrificial death and burial. Myrrh was a spice that was used in, in burial of people. And so they were symbolic of different aspects of his life. Now, we don't have time to look at the following verses you can read yourself later on in Matthew chapter 2. But we see that this brutal King Herod the, the Great ordered the murder, the execution of all male children in Bethlehem under the age of two. So he had ascertained how old Jesus was and he killed them all. We don't know how many that was, but he killed many children. He tried to kill this new King of the Jews, this Messiah. But God protected Jesus. Joseph was warned by an angel in a dream. He escaped with his family to Egypt. What was Joseph's trade? He was a carpenter. So what sustained them in this foreign land of Egypt? Well, I believe the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh had great financial value, and God had provided for them in this journey of escape to Egypt for a time uh, before they came back after Herod died to live in Israel once again. And so just as, as God desired the Magi to find Jesus, and he led them on their journey right to the place that Jesus was living, so he desires us to find him as well. He wants us to find him in an ever-deepening relationship in this coming year. And as believers, we are to seek after God. We learned in our lesson about the kings of Judah this morning, 
when kings sought after God and they sought for God's wisdom and they sought for God's guidance and they sought to follow God's word, God blessed them. And when they stopped seeking God, things did not go well with them at all. And so as believers, we're to seek to follow Jesus more and more closely. All the treasures that we have in our lives, every good gift that we have, has come from God himself. Our treasures are our time, our finances, our strength, our families, our, the wisdom that we have, the talents that we have, the, the dreams that God has given us. We have all kinds of treasures, gifts that God has given to us. And so as the Magi did, we are to lay those, those treasures at Jesus' feet. We're to submit to him everything we have for his purposes in this new year, 2018. And although we give our, our tithes and offerings to Jesus through the church, the, the rest of our treasures, they're not ours to do as we please. Sometimes we get it a little mixed up. We say all God wants is our tithes and offerings, and then we got all the rest. To, no, no, no. All of it is God's. Of course, he wants us to take care of our families. He wants us to put food on our tables. There's things we need to do with it, but we submit it to his purposes in this new year. And so today is the last Sunday of 2017. In fact, it's the last day of 2017. And we're looking forward to the new year of 2018. And so I believe one of the most important resolutions that we can make for the new year is to make it a year of seeking Jesus the King. Seeking him in a way more than we sought him in 2017. Because God wants us to be continually growing in our relationship with God. We just don't want to keep the status quo. We want to increase in our relationship with him. And Jesus promised, if you seek me, you're going to find me. If you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. And so Jesus, the king, really is the greatest treasure. And we seek after him. He's going to add everything else that we need in life. And we're going to truly find him in new ways in the new year. Now, in order to begin a relationship with King Jesus, we need to do three things. If you don't have a relationship with him or you'd like to renew your relationship with him on this last day of 2017, you need to admit that you've sinned, that basically you've been king of your own life. That's what each one of us was as a sinner, as an unbeliever. We were captains of our own fate. We were kings of our own life. And we were headed for destruction. That's sin. We need to repent. We need to turn away from that. We need to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. Ask him to forgive us, then commit our lives to following him as our king, to following his ways and his plans and his purposes. So let's bow our heads right now. If you'd like to commit your life to King Jesus for the first time or recommit your life to him this morning, uh, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sought to run my life the way I wanted to run it. I wanted to be king of my own life. Please forgive me. I believe that you came to this earth 2,000 years ago born as a baby, 
lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, ascended to heaven, where you reign now as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I commit my life to following you as my king, to doing what you tell me to do, not what I want to do. Come into my life. Change me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.